The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are presented by Circa Sports. Circa Sports is back with their Circa Survivor and Circa Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circasports.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast from the Sports Camp Podcast. And Erica, it's currently Thursday night, July 6th, and I'm Rose, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one. It is officially third-round preview time for Wimbledon, kinda. There's an asterisk around it because there are second-round and third-round matches taking place at the same time on Friday because of how backlogged the schedule is uh, because of the rain in the first couple days. So for the sake of this podcast, we will be previewing some of the games that catch my eye or matches, I should say, that catch my eye on the Friday card, whether involved second or third round. However, the lock and dog picks for the show at the end will be third round picks. So this is why we're going to call it the third round preview episode. Before we get into any of that, though, do have some uh, usual business to take care of. I got to recap what happened yesterday as well as talk about my rant, my new rant regarding Wimbledon after giving one out on the last show. But starting off with the lock and dog, really not much to recap because for the lock, it is still underway. Gave out Murray with the risk of getting slapped again uh, to win against Sitsipas, and he is currently up two sets to one, and the match was called for darkness. I'll get into that in a second. But either way, point is Murray is up two sets to one. Did take a bit of a tumble there in the end of the third set where it looked like he's kind of hurt himself badly, but then he got up. He ended up finishing his service game to win the set, and then it looked like he was fine. By the chair, he was... Very, very passionate. He was giving a bunch of fist bumps, uh, and, and it feels like he was ready to roll. So I don't know how injured Murray actually was. He was complaining that they couldn't at least start the fourth set. So I'm assuming Murray's fine, but it, I at least wanted to acknowledge he did take a bit of a tumble, and it might have been a bit of shock there, the initial scream, because, of course, anytime you suddenly fall and maybe uh, just overextend in a direction, it's a bit scary at first, but it does seem like Murray's fine. According to the live lines, though, Murray, I believe, is minus 195 on the money line. But the point is, we have a guy to win the match, and he's up two sets to one. So I really can't complain at all about how that match has gone so far. A lot of fun. Murray's actually not been broken in any of the first three sets. It's been a serve fest. And the only exception was the first game of the third set, where Sitsipas just, I guess, forgot how important it was to hold serve because he got broken to love, and that's been basically the entire story. Murray did fight off a break point, I believe, later on in that third set, but he got the job done. And once again, he leads 2-1. to one. So hopefully he's able to get the job done in Friday in the continuation. But for the sake of the dog, we had Manorino, uh, plus the games against Medvedev. And unfortunately for us, it's not over. He's down, but not out, because he did lose the first two sets 6-3. He is tied 4-4 in the third set. Now, the games, once again, were up against it. I'm fully aware of that. But maybe Manorino can come back. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Probably not. But for the sake of the lock and dog, one looks pretty good. One does not look pretty good. But either way, we'll find out what happens when they resume on Friday. But for the sake of the recap of the action from Thursday... Uh, you had a couple of upsets. Uh, we'll start off with the main one on center court, which is a reason why the Murray match was not able to be completed. It was the five-set marathon between Brody and Rude, and Rude, once again, really bad on grass. Enjoyed the golf, enjoyed the concerts, because he got eliminated to Brody, who I think is really not that great of a player. And I was actually on VEASAN yesterday on the Hoops Peterson show, and we talked about some tennis briefly, and he brought up the Rude match. And I basically said... 
I don't trust Rude at all in grass. However, I don't think Brody's that good of a player. So I think I think Rude's going to win. However, I did say that I liked Brody to win at least a set in the match. And Brody did win the first set. He was down 2-1, though, then rallied. And he won the fifth set via bagel, which is embarrassing for Rude. I thought Rude would win. I know he's really bad on grass, but I really don't think Brody's that good of a player. But I'm not shocked if Rude got eliminated early. You know we were dismissing him the entire tournament. It's why we took Lacoli to beat him in the first round. And once again, I don't think Rude played that well. I just thought Lacoli's not very good. But Lacoli did win a set in that match. And Brody was able to rally. And Rude completely checked out mentally in the fifth set on grass. Because it's what he always does. Besides that, though... I was wrong about the... I'll go through the leans that I had from the of the episode because my underdog leans were actually pretty good for the most part. I just accidentally picked the... Or not accidentally, I just picked the wrong one. I went with the games for Manorino when I had a couple money lines that actually got home. But I'll start off with the bad pick. I linked to the over in the Bublik and Wolf match, which was not very close. Wolf had a shot there in the second set, but Bublik kind of just destroyed him. And Bublik did win the third set 6 nothing. Besides that, though, uh, I thought Echeverry would probably win a set against Warenka, and he did, but Warenka won. I mentioned that on Vison. I thought Musetti would win in straight sets against Munar. That was a plus money that got there. Munar beat Isner's corpse. Doesn't really mean much to me. Musetti's in good form. He's a pretty good grass player, and I thought Musetti would win pretty easily, and he did. Besides that, I did like... Uh, I, I like the over in that Tommy Paul and Rayonich match, which got there couple of tiebreakers and some 6-4, so that really was exactly how I thought the match would play out. I thought Rayonich was live to win, and he kind of was, because once again, each match was competitive, each set was competitive, but the match did go over, and that was my main play there. Uh, besides that, what else did I like? I liked Dejir on the money line against Shelton. I thought Shelton was overvalued, and I did like how Dejir looked earlier in the tournament, and Dejir came back from one set down, and he won outright at around plus 175, so that was a pretty good price there. Also, like Leshika at even money, I thought that that Sarandolo line looked extremely concerning. And with the amount of tennis Sarandolo played before the Wimbledon and the fact that he had to play a four-setter the previous day, I thought he was going to run out of gas. And Leshika destroyed him, 6-2, 6-2, 6-2. Match was over very quickly, and that was an even money win. So once again, we did pretty well on the overall episode. Unfortunately, though, the dog pick that we made wasn't a very good one, but... Overall, can't complain too much. To go through some of the other matches, though, at least the results, I got to talk about the guy that we were fading in the outright episode because we did not like him at all. It was Fritz, and we thought Fritz was vulnerable to lose to Hoffman in the first round, and he almost lost. That went to five. And then he blew a two-set lead to Emer, and I believe Fritz in Grand Slams was 19-0 and when leading 2 nothing. Now it's 19-1 and because Fritz completely fell apart after winning the first two sets. Emer was a pretty big underdog as well. He was around plus 350, and he got the job done there. Fritz has been a mess, and that's why I was fading him entirely uh, in Wimbledon. It's why no part of me wanted an outright on him, despite making a deep run last year. Fritz is just an up-and-down player. He has a somewhat high ceiling, but he's always capped because, for the most part, he his strokes aren't consistent enough, and his strokes fell apart in the final three sets there against Emer. Besides that, though, that's kind of it. I really don't see much else to talk about. I thought Chapo was impressive. Uh, I thought that Fakina was very impressive. I didn't really have much else. So that kind of is going to sum up the action. Once again, the actual dog picks, I thought we did pretty well. Uh, but unfortunately, we did pick a dog that might have had some fleas in it there with Manorino. But hopefully, we will be able to turn it around. Anyway, before we get into the third round, do want to 
quickly discuss my rants for the episode. I kind of had two rants in the last episode. First was Wimbledon's handling of the weather, as well as the lack of proper lighting on the outdoor courts because of darkness, which is still insane to me. How you're making $100 million, you got paid $100 plus million for pandemic insurance, and you can't afford lamps or regular light bulbs on the outdoor courts, which is insane to me. And then I mentioned American Tennis and how it was kind of embarrassing for the last few days. Shout out to Fritz for adding to the list. But for the sake of this one, I'm going to go back to Wimbledon, and I got to talk about what happened on center court because there is no way that they should have been forced to suspend the Murray match after what was really a normal day in terms of weather. Weather was fine for the most part. I know Brody went to five sets. That was a long match. I'm aware of that. But there is no way that you can tell me with a straight face that you could not finish the entire slate on center court with no weather delays. I find that ridiculous to me. And the main rant's going to come with, or it's going to involve the curfew at Wimbledon, which I think is insanely stupid. Now, I have seen worse curve. I've seen some bad curfews around. I know the French Open had a curfew. However, I do know they waived the curfew a couple years ago when Nadal and Djokovic were playing in the semis, which Djokovic ended up winning, uh, where he eventually won the title. And you saw them wave off the curfew, I believe, midway through the fourth set, and they realized it's Nadal Djokovic. What better things are these guys are these people gonna do? Let's let them keep playing. And Wimbledon's had this curfew since 2009. They added it once center court opened the roof. The problem I have with that is that I guess the curfew has to do with darkness and how they want people to actually go back home safely, I guess. I just think it's insane. It's a bunch of grown it's a bunch of grown people watching tennis. Like I, I don't know about you, but eleven o'clock also sounds insanely early. It's one thing for Australia if they want to throw the fans out at one in the morning or two in the morning. Okay. I still don't agree with it. I like the US open strategy, which is if this match ends at five AM, we're gonna have a great time. That's why the Sinner and Alcaraz match was so great at the US Open last year. It's because they played until three, four in the morning and the whole stadium was packed because the atmosphere was nuts and it was an all time great match. But for the sake of Australia they have a certain cutoff point for the fans, usually around one or two in the morning, which I think is fair. One or two, I don't think there should be a curfew at all, but if you want to implement one, make it after midnight, make it very early in the morning. Like, okay, 2 a.m., fine. French Open, darkness, they voided it in the event of an important match between Nadal and Djokovic, so even though I don't agree with the French Open one, at least they did modify it on occasion. The Wimbledon one is insane to me because it's 11 p.m., now, maybe it's just me and the fact that I'm a night person, but I'm just going to ask all of you rhetorically, when was the last time you voluntarily went to bed at 11 o'clock? I can't remember the last time I went to bed voluntarily before midnight. I am always going to bed at 2, 3 in the morning. I've been doing that since basically ninth grade, and even in middle school when I was like 13, I was still going to bed at midnight, at like one in the morning. I've been a night person for a long time. Maybe that's me. I know that there's a lot of morning people out there who go to bed early and like 10 o'clock or so. But 11 p.m. curfew, forcing everybody to leave at 11 o'clock is insane to me. If you want to leave early, then why don't they just leave early? You don't have to force everyone out of the stadium. The people that want to leave because it's too late will leave because it's too late. I think it's insane 
that you're forcing people out at 11 o'clock, which seems pretty early. I don't know why you can't bump back the curfew until maybe 2 a.m. and let people actually watch some tennis. Plus, to be honest, it's Andy Murray, who's one of the most important athletes in the history of just Great Britain, England in general. I, I mean, I guess you can argue that, you know, it's still in the grand scheme of things. A- athletics aren't the most important thing. But still, the point is Andy Murray's playing in Wimbledon. There aren't many bigger moments for the sake of Great Britain throughout the course of the year in sports, I feel like that's one of those exceptions where you should look at it and go, you know, maybe we should let Murray finish this match. I just think that the curfew is insane, and I wanted to mention it. It's just nuts to me. And on top of that, they made it even weirder because you'd assume, okay, they're going to pause the Murray match. They'll resume it first thing in the morning. They're not resuming it first thing in the morning. The schedule came out for Friday, and the first match taking place on center court is going to be Alcaraz versus Moeller, and they're postponing the Murray match until the middle of the afternoon. So it's not even being suspended. It's being suspended and then pushed back to the last match once again on center court, which doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know what the scheduling is here for Wimbledon, and it's going to result in an overlying question that I have to at least bring up, which is going to sound extremely harsh and an overreaction. But I got to ask, because I've been thinking it for a couple of years, does Wimbledon kind of suck? Like, I just want to ask, because I know that, of course, the actual atmosphere when they play is very good. It's grass. You have the royal family. Seems a bit pretentious. I get all that. But still, it's a good atmosphere. And you've had a lot of great champions. Djokovic has had his dominance. Murray won a couple of them. Nadal's won a couple of them. Federer at his run. You had Sampras, who was great for a long time on grass. But you're looking at how Wimbledon actually runs their tournament operations, and it is so embarrassing compared to the other three Grand Slams. In my power rankings, I have Wimbledon dead last by a wide margin because the rain is always a problem, and they always mess up the actual court scheduling year in, year out, and this Murray-Sitsipas match and the overall roof fiasco for the last couple days is a good example of that. I have Wimbledon firmly dead last in my Grand Slam power rankings of just what I enjoy. I think Wimbledon's the worst. My favorite's actually the Australian Open. I think the Australian Open's the best. I have such a great time watching the Australian Open. I think it's a very well-run tournament, and I think they do it pretty well. Second, I'd probably go U.S. Open. Uh, I like hardcore more. I just prioritize hardcore over clay. I think the French Open's fine, but I do think, once again, the lack of a curfew and the fact that the U.S. Open just just completely rolls through any type of suspended matches definitely is a plus. It rains a concern everywhere, but it rains a lot more in England than some other places. But I do think, once again, the U.S. Open will be second in my power rankings because I do like the fact that if they're playing a match on center court, they're finishing the match on center court, and they're not going to delay it until tomorrow, which I do appreciate. So that does get some bonus points for me. Third is the French Open. It's fine. I'm not really against it, but I do want to at least point it out. And last is Wimbledon. Wimbledon is really just so poorly run, and I hope people realize that. Plus, grass tennis, to be honest, it's kind of overrated, just the way it is. I know that Poss was calling for more grass events during the course of the year. Kind of ironic, because he's been struggling on grass. But I think grass tennis is fine aesthetically. It's aesthetically pleasing. Is it great tennis? Kinda? I mean, we've seen center court. And with Dejir and Cressy, that was a tie-break fest. You've seen one break of serve in the first three sets of the Murray match. 
it's been a service convention. So, I mean, it's fine, but I prefer to see a little bit more action and a little bit longer points, and grass points tend to end quickly. So, for me, I got Wimbledon last, but I think the main reason why I brought it up is because with all the issues that are surrounding the overall running of the tournament, some people might not have realized how overrated Wimbledon might be, and I kind of wanted to bring it up because the way that it's been running this year has been a disaster, and that's kind of my brief thoughts there. But anyway, that's going to do it for my rant. Now it's time to move into the actual matches on Thursday, I mean on Friday. Once again, I'm going to talk about a kind of a mix of the second and third round matches left, and the lock and dog picks will be in the third round. So looking briefly at what catches my eye, I do think the Berrettini match against Diminor is pretty interesting. Diminor's favorite at minus 175. Berrettini did get revenge against Sonigo after losing pretty convincingly about a month ago, and he was able to win in four sets there. Sonigo is in bad form too, though, so I'm not sure if I can overreact to that. However, Diminor did not have the easiest time with Copahans, and he was able to win. Uh, Copahans is not exactly known for being a great grass player, and there were a couple breakers in there. But Diminor is a pretty decent favorite here, and to go through the odds here, Berrettini is currently available at around plus 145. Uh, Diminor is minus 165 the other way. I think Diminor is in good form, don't get me wrong. I think there might be a little bit of value on Berrettini. Maybe the over. I can see Berrettini serving well, and if his serve is going to be on, that might dictate the entire match. They played in London in 2021 on grass, and Berrettini won 6-4-6-4. I do think, once again, that Diminor might wear him down over time, but Berrettini, we know on grass, has been a runner-up here before in Wimbledon. He's a solid player on grass. I like the over. Uh, 40 and a half is a little bit high, though. If you can find that at 39 and a half, I would not mind that. I can see a breaker or two in there, but I think you'll see a bit of a longer match. I'll lean to the over in that one, but that was one match that kind of caught my eye. Uh, besides that, I think Vesely has some value at plus money. Uh, sorry, at around even money against O'Connell. I know I roasted Korda, rightfully so, for losing to Vesely, but Vesely impressed me. I thought he served very well, and I do think that if the server is going to be that good, he's going to be tough to beat because he is a pretty good at the net, and I do think that he can be aggressive and really keep O'Connell off balance. O'Connell's a good player with a one-handed backhand, but he does have some unforced error concerns at times, and I do think Vesely can get the job done there. I think Alcaraz is going to beat the hell out of Moore, so I'm not going to bother with that one. I think Musetti is quite live as an underdog against Hercatch. You know I'm not the biggest Hercatch guy on the show uh, because I think that his stamina is a bit of a concern and the unforced error counts are not exactly good. I really do think he reminds me a lot of Kevin Anderson in terms of style. And Anderson was a good player, but he wasn't a great, great player because he struggled to actually break serve a lot. And that is a problem that Hercaz kind of runs into at times. But I think that he's a good player. Musetti, though, is in great form. And I do think that Musetti, uh, he is 2-1 lifetime against Hercatch, but Hercatch did win the one match on grass. They actually played in Wimbledon in 2021, and Hercatch won in straight sets. But Hercatch had a, two pretty easy opponents, beat Ramos Vanolis in straight sets, and beat... Uh, Chonsky in the second round, and he probably should have lost that third set because he was down love 40 at 5-6, and he ended up holding. I don't think that Chonsky's any good, so I do think, once again, when you're looking at the impressiveness of the first two rounds, I think Mercedes looked better. So if you want to give me a better player at around plus 130, I think that's worth a shot. I see plus 140 available, actually. If Hercatch wins, would I be shocked? No, because he's a better server. But I think that Musetti is the better player. 
and I think he's pretty good on grass. So I do like Musetti for the value on that one. Besides that, what else am I tempted by? I think Watanuki can maybe win a set against Zverev if you want to go for an obscure play. Watanuki had a nice comeback there against Husler in the first round. Plus two and a half sets, those minus 120. I think Zverev is going to win, but I, I can see a world where Watanuki wins a set. And that could be interesting. Halas against Sinner, I think is pretty interesting. Sinner's been good, but Halas looked very good as well. That could be a bit of a longer match. I think Pella versus Safulin's interesting. I think Pella's got value at plus 175. Guido's been good recently. I got to give him props. Now, Safulin's been good too, but at plus 165, I can see that match being up in the air. That might be quite appealing. Uh, besides that, Eubanks and Nori. Nori's got the home crowd. Should Nori be minus 345? Uh, no, I don't think he should be. Uh, Nori didn't look great against Makic. He ended up winning in four, but I thought he could have looked better. And Eubanks looked pretty good against uh, Montero. Did lose the first set and came back, but that is pretty interesting. I'd probably lean to Eubanks plus the games. And Eubanks is a good serve, so maybe he could dominate with the serve. And we know Nori's serve is a bit underwhelming at times. I might like the games there with Eubanks. I'm not sure if he's going to win, but that price point does seem a bit large. If you want an upset that I'm kind of interested in, I think Gofen can make it interesting on Rublev. And I did mention Gofen as my dog on the episode for the first round because I liked him against Kyrgios, and Kyrgios ended up dropping. But Gofen's looked pretty good. He ended up winning in four sets against uh, Morozin with a 6-0 in the final set. Then he won 6-0 again in the fourth set against Barrios Vera. So I am aware he hasn't played many players who are well-known on grass. But you're looking at Rublev, and he won in three sets against Purcell. Purcell's not a great grass player, and Purcell was up 5-2 in the second set and choked it. So Purcell probably should have won. He was up a double break there, I believe, in the uh, second set. So that could have been a bit of a war. And then he went to four sets against Karatsev, who's not good on grass. And that could have been a bit dicey as well. So I think Rublev's a bit overvalued. I'm not saying that Rublev's going to officially lose, but minus 500 is kind of a crazy price. And Gofen's been pretty good. I think Gofen's got value if you want to look at around plus 365. I think it's tempting. I think plus six is worth a look, and I do think that Rublev can be potentially upset in this spot. But Gofen's been good. He made a relatively deep run in Wimbledon last year. Pretty good on grass, and I do think that he's got value. Over three and a half sets is minus 140. I think that's pretty appealing, too. But give me the plus six there with Gofen, and I do think he's got a shot to win the match. Uh, besides that, though, you have a fun throwback match between Djokovic and Warenka. Djokovic, massive favorite. I'm not going to spend much time. It's going to be fun. You know, strolling through memory lane. Djokovic is going to kill him, and he'll probably win in straight sets. Maybe a breaker in there, because Djokovic has had to go to a breaker against Katchen, and Jordan Thompson actually gave him a bit of a problem. But Warenka's looked pretty good so far. He's never been known for being a great grass player, but I think Djokovic buries him probably 6-3, 6-2, 6-4, something like that. But I'll go with Djokovic to win that match comfortably. That's kind of going to wrap it up, though, for the sake of the actual match previews. However, I was given a request by somebody in the Discord server about going through an updated quarter to go through some odds there, and I'm going to do that. If you have any requests for future episodes, you can message me on Discord and tell me what you want me to cover. I'm not guaranteeing you'll be able to do it, but for the sake of this episode, it is relatively short, so I do have some time to go through the actual quarter. So for the sake of the quarter that I was asked about, it was the, uh, I believe it was the third quarter. And Sinner was the favorite of plus money, which we did give out a piece of. 
The other one we gave out was Batista Agut, which did not work out. But we thought that with Sinner's injuries in the past and with the openness of this quarter, I thought it was pretty accessible for a lot of guys to make a run. And it turns out I was right because Fritz and Batista Agut ended up losing. So I was wrong about Agut. But the point is, you had two guys who were viewed as being some potential threat to challenge Sinner, and both of them lost. So I did expect the third quarter to be quite interesting. And to go through the odds here, Sinner is minus 125. He should be the big favorite. Uh, Shapo is plus 330. Emers plus 800. Brody's 9 to 1. Hallis is 14 to 1. Safulin is 16 to 1. Pella is 22 to 1. And Galan is 22 to 1. Galan quietly has been good on grass, which has been a bit surprising, but he's been solid. The one player that I was interested in besides Sinner, obviously, I was tempted by Hallis at 14 to 1. The problem is he faces off against Sinner in the next round. So you were kind of hoping that you would be able to see or take a guy that would be able to avoid facing Sinner as long as possible. And that way, if Sinner lost, you might be able to get an easy path and you wouldn't have to do the dirty work yourself. But Hallis, I thought, had some value at around 14 to 1 because I do like his overall game and I do think that he can be a problem in this overall section, or at least for Sinner's purposes. Sinner hasn't exactly played many great players so far. He beat uh, Schwartzman, congratulations, and you're looking at his overall body of work here. He really hasn't played anybody because he faced off against the other Sarandolo in the first round, who's really bad on grass. So he basically had two buys. Meanwhile, Hallis has been good, beat Vukic in three, and beat Evans in four. Evans is never easy on grass, uh, but I think that uh, Hallis can potentially give Sinner some problems. So I do think that Hallis may be worth the look, but if you want it to go based on draw, and let's pick a guy that would not have to face Sinner immediately. So Sinner's path would, in theory, be Hallis, then Golan or Yemmer. So there has to be value on the bottom end because you're looking at Pella, Safulin, Shapo, and Brody. And those guys would have to face off against or one of them would have to face off against center in the quarters. So those four guys are where you're looking at. So you're looking at Brody, Shapo, Safulin, or Pella if you want to avoid center as long as possible. Now, Shapo is going to be the popular pick because he has a game that tends to play well on grass. We know, though, that he's a head case, so it's no guarantee how good Shapo is going to look. He did look good against Pereri, though. Did win that one in straight sets, which was a bit surprising. I think he's going to be Brody. I don't think Brody's that good. I think Brody's going to be exhausted after playing five sets against Rude yesterday and then playing back-to-back. So Shapo should be able to beat him there. Uh, if you want to talk about the other match between Pella and Safulin, I mentioned before I think Pella's got value. I am concerned about stamina, though, because Pella's up there in years, but he's been good. And he played against George, played against Mayotte, so not exactly well-known players. On the other hand, Safulin did beat Batista Agut, which was a very weird match that got suspended a lot, and he beat Mutet, who I'm not a big fan of. But I think if you want to make an argument for guys on the opposite side of Sinner, it would probably be Shapo and Safulin. Uh, I think Pella, at the end of the day, I pick him to potentially beat Safulin if I had to go for a money line one match pick, which is going to sound like it contradicts itself. But I really don't think Pella's good enough to win the entire quarter because of age. And I think if he does end up beating Safulin, he would le- he would lose to Shapo. I think Safulin's got a better chance of beating Shapo than Pella does. So even though I think Pella's got life to beat Safulin in the Friday match. 
for the sake of a future, I think Safulin's got a better chance of potentially pulling off the Cinderella than Pella does long-term. So my main two future leans would be Shapo and Safulin. But I'm really not going to ride anything because I got Sinner at plus money, and Sinner's got a pretty decent draw. Once again, the second best option is Shapo, which tells you Sinner should, keyword should, cruise into the semis. So I'm going to go with Sinner once again to win the third quarter. But my long shot picks or my underdog picks here would be Shapo at 330 and Safulin as my long shot at 16 to 1. But for the sake of that, though, it's going to wrap it up for the actual picks in the Friday matches for the second and third round. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. But before getting into that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Circus Sports. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circus Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different Moneyline winner each week. You cannot use, once again, the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize, or if most multiple people do make it to the end of the season, then you chop whatever the grand prize is. On top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy, and SportsCam Podcast will be out there last weekend in August, so stop by and say hi to the gang. CircusSports.com for all the details, CircusSports.com. What would you do if you ended up winning all that money? Possibilities are endless. I'd probably go on vacation. I'd travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see, but the point is it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor... There's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf. And we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last. Others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get in on the action at Circus Sports, CircusSports.com for all of the details. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the Friday matches, which involve the second and third round here at Wimbledon. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks for the show. So starting off with my lock for the show, I am going to go to an underdog, actually. I'm going to look at the spread. I'm going to look at the Rublev and Golfen match. And for this one, I'm going to take Golfen plus the games. I see six and a half. Available. It is a bit juiced. I found minus 145 on DraftKings. I'm shopping around to see if I could find a better line on FanDuel, but I do like the six and a half games. It's pretty simple for me. I think that Golfen's been good so far in this event, and I think that even though Rublev has been able to advance, 
he still doesn't do the greatest job of taking care of business easily, and he doesn't make life difficult for himself because he constantly drops sets. And I think that with Rublev being a decent favorite here against a guy in good form, I just think that Gofen is quite alive to make this match interesting. And I do think, once again, with Rublev dropping a set to Karatsev, who's really not that good on grass, and with him also being vulnerable leading into Wimbledon, I think he's a bit overvalued. Now, he was able to be Purcell in straight sets. Once again, Purcell choked away a golden opportunity to win the second set. If Goffin wins one set, he's probably good here. But to go through a couple of the Grand Slam matches that they had recently, they faced off in 2017 in the U.S. Open, so that's not that's not recent. But Rublev won in straight sets. There was a 7-5 and a 7-6 in there. And they faced off in the Australian Open in 2020. And Rublev won that one in four but it was with two tiebreakers and Gulfen did win a set 6-2. I can see a world where Rublev struggles in a set and Gulfen wins by margin in a set, and that gives him a good opportunity to potentially open up a good cushion to cover the games here. But six and a half really does feel very, very large, and I do think Gulfen should be able to make this match interesting. So give me Gulfen plus the games here. I see six and a half. Best line I found is minus 145 on DraftKings. I'm going to take that, and I hopefully... Expect Golfen to keep the match close. Maybe win it outright, but give me Golfen to to keep the match close. As for my dog for the episode, I'm trying to think of what I'm really tempted by because I did mention a couple of dogs, but I wanted to make sure that I picked the one that I truly feel the most confident about. I'm going to go with the better player theory. I know her catch has played well on grass in the past, but I really like how Musetti's played lately, and I do think Musetti's in better form right now. Give me Musetti money line. Uh, I think that her catch, even though he was able to win in straight sets in the match on Thursday, he played a relatively underwhelming opponent, and he probably should have lost the third set. He was down once again, triple set point. Musetti is just a good player, and I thought that he was going to dominate against Munar. He did, and I know that her catch is a good server, but Musetti is a good mover, and I think that he can out rally her catch over the course of these three out of five sets. Plus, Hercatch occasionally has some injury issues, so I do think that that could be a bit of a concern too. But Musetti, who in my opinion is the better player right now based on current form, at plus 140 is a good price. I'm going to take that as my dog. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on Gulfen, plus the six and a half games against Rublev at minus 145 on DraftKings. And my dog will be on Musetti Moneyline against Hercatch at plus 140. That's going to wrap it up once again for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We're back once again for the fourth round. Either way, though, until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.